0: Thank you.
1: Special Thursday night edition of the Rundown. Your Fab Four are assembled here this evening. The Rundown crew—we're all here. We're gonna be talking a lot about Joe Biden today. Unfortunately for us, the usurper and chief fake Catholic, uh, Joe Biden, has really made the news. I'm gonna try not to make fun of him too much. We have so much more that's happening in the world. Uh, we're, we have tons of videos, lots of grooming. No F-bombs this week, I promise you. We're going to go to the governor of Texas. We're going to look at Oregon. We're going to look at California, of course, and Florida. This is The Rundown. Thank you so much for joining. Celebrating its second. This is the Catholic Disinfo Hour, celebrating its second year of weekly production. The Rundown is a collaborative Catholic news and opinion show endeavoring to expose and mock the Build Back Better New World Order in both civil society and the church. We've correctly predicted lockdowns, mandates, elections, and public frauds of all manner. Covidians hate us, normies try to ignore us, and fake news organizations wish they could be us. This is The Rundown. Brought to you by restoring the faith media.
2: RestoringTheFaith.com. तो जब उसे shoes legged दिए बेचारा shoes पहन के गया पाकिस्तान वाले park ये देखने के लिए jogging हो पाती है
3: Drop!
1: Addiction. Fab Four are here. Some people are asking in the chat if this is the new rundown night. It's not. I don't want to infringe on NFP. They, they've got Thursday nights. This is only a one-time scheduling thing. We are normally going to be at you every Friday night. Mike, Ryan, James, and Brother Martin here. Okay. Top story at night. First story. Nancy Pelosi has the Omicron virus. So she says, Ryan, uh, she was planning on making a trip to Taiwan. And the Chinese told her not to go. So what does she do? She gets sick.
4: It's a perfect cover. Um, you know, I don't know why anybody believes any of these people when they engage in political theater anymore. But um, how old is she? You know, if she comes out of this, okay, why does anybody take Omicron seriously? That's, that's all I've got to say.
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, that pretty much all we need to say about that. All right, guys. Did you know that Hunter Biden's laptop, James, it actually was vindicated? It exists. It has lots of lewd and sordid things on it. But one executive at a major left-wing media outlet, The Atlantic, says it's just not very interesting. Let's take
0: uh, a... Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. I'm Daniel Schmidt. I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. My question is for Ms. Applebaum. Um, So in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, A poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And what can we learn from that in ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality?
5: I mean, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is, I think, totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or – I mean, I don't think the – Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I, I, didn't fi- I don't find it to be interesting. I mean, that, that would be my problem with the, that as a, as a major news story.
3: Uh, we're going to talk about more of this uh, tomorrow in our first uh, panel, so stand by. <laughs> um, and I, I think we have run out of time.
1: Oh, James, we ran out of time. Miss Applebaum says that it's not interesting to her.
6: You know, it's really interesting. The first question we all should ask ourselves is, why is this being released now? And I know we talked about this last week. Um, This is a distraction. But the fact of the matter is, uh, this laptop was basically uh, denied as being in existence. And anyone who was... Saying the opposite was labeled lots of things. Now, we know uh, Hunter Biden had dealings in Ukraine uh, with uh, Burisma, and we're not supposed to know any of that. So they they looked for a way to discredit uh, Trump when Trump was asking simple questions. And now we're looking back and realizing anytime they deny something, or at least those who are now finding out, right? So those who are now finding out or realizing anytime the Democrat denies something, and then point a finger at you, chances are that they're doing the same exact thing. Um, it's, it's a huge problem. Um, you know, you know are, are we still believing anything that these people say? You know, and of course, while well, it's, it's a huge d- distraction, or oh, really is it? 16%, you know, if, if voting <laughs> if voting were actually something that works, um, 16% is a huge number. You know, uh, th- these uh, people obviously were denied uh, you know that that piece of truth, you know this mm-hmm. lot of does exist, and it has in it information that for us would be uh tantamount to somebody selling himself in order in order to not be a exposed and b to to to, to uh, which perpetuates the idea of a corrupt Ukraine, which yeah. now we're dealing with Ukraine going into this uh, war with Russia and not knowing exactly who to trust so people are now saying well Ukraine is not as corrupt as it used to be well in 2020 you know when they were making or not 2020 rather was it uh, 20 uh, I think it was 20 2015 or something when this whole deal with uh, with Hanna Biden and, and the board of directors was going through so this is it's a huge
1: mess yeah it's a huge mess I have I have one message for miss Applebaum. And it's that we need to smash the patriarchy. Okay, anyway. Uh, speaking of the usurper-in-chief... He loosened Catholic, it up for him. She did. Yeah, she did. Um, good job, Ms. Applebaum. Fake uh, Catholic superint Chief Joe Biden. I can't help but feel bad for the guy. We showed you these videos in the intro. Tucker weighs in on the issue as well. Here's Tucker on poor, sleepy
2: Joe. Joe Biden is now the most unpopular person in virtually any room he enters. If you doubt it, watch this. This was the scene at the White House today. Take a careful look at this. You've never seen anything like it. That's the president of the United States in his own house, shunned. Nobody would talk to him. So Biden wandered off looking vacant as a crowd formed around a former president, Barack Obama, who was obviously deeply grateful for the attention. And then it got worse. It got much more poignant than that. Watch Biden try to horn in on the conversation swirling around Obama. Everyone involved in that conversation, including Kamala Harris, who supposedly works for Biden, ignored Biden completely. Biden desperately tried to get Obama's attention. He puts his hand on Obama's shoulder. He even calls him Barack, like they're friends. But Obama blows him off. He acts like Biden's not even there. Ask yourself if you have ever in your life seen anything sadder than this. They could stop. It's awful.
1: I, I appreciate, Brother Martin, how Tucker can pretend to feel uh, empathy for Sleepy Joe. Uh, he does look quite vacant. Vacant is a good word. I, he looked kind of like a zombie to me. To I, 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 I do feel badly for the guy, but then again, I really I don't.
7: Well, given his policies, given the position he has in the country, it's 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 hard not to feel some sort of resentment because he's supposedly making all of these important decisions for our country. Um, but I think it's obviously, I think it's obvious who's in charge. Who's in charge in the room? I mean, mm-hmm. here you have Barack Obama playing like a basketball player. Hey, man, what's up? Hey, you know, uh, while Biden's hands on his shoulder, him trying to get his attention. Um, parties, parties rule this country. It's, it's not an individual. It's not the people that we elect. It's it's parties and. And we saw the, the the social networking that was going on in that room. Um, if, if I mean, we really know who was in charge of that room, didn't we? We, we saw it loud and clear.
1: Yeah, no kidding, uh, Ryan. It's, it's uh, the, look at it from this angle. I, this angle, I think, is the really is the saddest.
7: <laughs> and there you just see an old man who's just being ignored. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's sad.
1: Look at him. How goes, goes on
4: behind him. the scenes too? Um, you know, Biden's in a room or something, and he's trying to figure out what he's supposed to do. He, he's, love it. he's pulling at Barack, and Brock's completely ignoring yeah, That's my Hey, man, uh, what's up? Yeah. Oh, it, man. It's, um, now, some people have erroneously interpreted that, see, we see who rules and who's really running things. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm. Uh, what you're is saying any, is, what? Is, is... Obama's just... Obama was a puppet as much as I believe Trump was, as much as absolutely Biden is, clearly. And... Uh, but Obama was a more popular puppet with the left. There was, there was nothing, you know, he couldn't seem to put his foot wrong. And socially, he could light up a room, he could charge. them. up. Biden is such an embarrassment that they have had to cover for him endlessly since, uh, since his election, essentially. So they have mm-hmm. to cover for him. They have to, you know, run interference from any, any kind of uh, insulated, from any kind of serious criticism. And then the one time they'll let somebody actually ask a pertinent question. If he doesn't yell at the guy he's like he puts his you know head down on the and cries or something so i think the the ability of the media to cope with biden's ineptitude has hit its breaking point and what you're seeing with uh, obama in there is they're all just like wow this is a breath of fresh air boy i sure wish mm-hmm. he was better.
8: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah i i think that's that's on point now a quick programming note If you're watching this live right now, if you're watching this on YouTube, you may have noticed that the rundown has its own YouTube channel. And that's, of course, to keep the big tech oligarchs off of our backs and throw them off of our scent and to protect the RTF main YouTube channel from things like strikes or uh, being taken down. This allows us to be a little bit more edgy, we have our own YouTube channel. And it also allows us to distribute the, uh, the the posting rights to the Rundown to all four of us. So you don't even have to look at my ugly mug like two weeks ago when uh, Ryan uh, dutifully ran the show without me. But it's important that you subscribe. You have to subscribe to the Rundown channel. And uh, one other note, uh, just before I play this other video about Biden and and kick it over to James. Um, there is a podcast, and this is... One of the voice only podcasts that gets uploaded. And many of you are like, I want to watch the rundown, but it's two hours and I can't do two hours of YouTube. Well, good news for you. If you just check out the Restoring the Faith Media podcast, wherever you podcast, uh, the rundown is posted within minutes of the show ending. James, it's very confusing when your commander in chief doesn't even know who was the vice president. When he himself was the vice president.
2: And I'm deeply proud of the work she's doing as First Lady with Joining Forces Initiative. She started with Michelle Obama when she was vice president and now carries on.
1: Michelle Obama was vice president, James. Did you know that? I can't even follow anything
6: he's saying. Was he talking about Michelle Obama? Was he talking about Joe Biden? Was he talking about himself and then put himself in in the body of Joe Biden? I am so confused nothing nothing this man says should be taken uh, seriously I mean because he's not there you know there's an empty space in there where he used to make uh, you know uh, th- c- coherent sentences and that's long gone you know and I don't know why we are perpetuating the idea that this man in fact is sitting down uh, making uh, laws, or or rather writing up policies with his uh, top staff, you know, he probably sitting there in the round table in the office and people are telling him what they're going to do. And he's just nodding. And they say, well, this is where you sign, you know? So I I, I don't trust anything coming out of this White House anymore. Uh, Do you you remember James,
1: do you remember Uh when uh, Clint Eastwood, did the whole empty chair spiel? Oh yeah. This it's now even more poignant. Go ahead. I mean, but but he was doing that about Barack Hussein Obama. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was saying that he was just yeah. an empty chair. I mean, that right. that metaphor is so perfect for it, this president.
6: It's, so, it's even more perfect now than it was back then. You know, we can yeah, we can talk about how Barack Obama is a tool of the uh intelligentsia, you know, uh CIA FBI, you know, what have you. Absolutely. He is he's in there. But the problem is now you have somebody who doesn't even know what he's doing in there. And he has people all around him who are just managing him. And, uh, you know, that that is just a sad state of affairs for Mr. Biden. And um, who knows what's coming next? Um, I I, I don't know, but it's certainly not another four years of Biden.
1: Well, and that's that's an interesting point, Brother Martin, because my hunch is that that Kamala named after a (laughs) demon Kamala. Shouldn't even say her name, really. Let's just say Miss Harris slept her way at the top. She is so deeply unpopular, so terrible, even unpalatable amongst the left that, I I, I mean, really, if you wanted to give any credit to Joe Biden for being assassination proof, (laughs) it was his selection of Kay Harris as his running mate. (laughs) Nobody wants her to be president. So who's going to be next?
7: That's so true. And, you know, I think the midterms are really going to scare them, the, the Democratic parties, because Joe's now so unpopular. Uh, he's handled um, the COVID restrictions very, very terribly. Everyone's, you know, desperate to get back to work. Uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida is, is stealing the media and on, on the, on the conservative sides of things. Um, come midterms, I expect a, a, a red landslide, really, um, just because people are des- desperate for some sort of hero. Um, and so, come come the next two years after that, when, when when the presidential election is is happening, I really do expect the the DNC to be in fear that they're going to lose lose the the Oval Office. Um, the question is, who are the Republicans going to put forward? Are they going to put forward a Ron DeSantis? Are they going to put forward a, a Donald Trump again? Um, who are they going to put forward? And it's going to be uh, it's going to be pretty hard for for all of us um, because in order to save themselves, the DNC is just going to organize another. Uh, another pandemic, another catastrophe, another crisis uh, wow. to try to, to try to look like the saviors, you know, to sell you, to sell you the, to give you a problem, to sell you the solution, to or, to, to orchestrate a problem, to sell you the solution that they have, they have
1: preplanned. Well, that's an um, interesting theory, Ryan, because in modern politics in the, in, in the USSA, where we all reside and believe that we're free, falsely, uh, outside of George W. Bush, baby Bush. In his first midterm election, in the midterms of 2002. Outside of excluding that midterm, every sitting president, every new president has lost the House or the Senate, has lost the Congress, lost the midterms. Uh, that's, of course, been allowed to happen, and that tends to be the pattern that happens in these United States. The outlier, of course, was that the midterm elections of 2002 went Bush's way because of his supposedly great response to 9 11 brother is positing that Biden is going to need a nine 11 style event in order to avoid a huge catastrophe. I think that that probably is true. Uh, do you think he's going to get his nine 11 or do you think they're just going to let him be swept away in the inevitable red wave?
4: It all depends on how useful he is to the powers that shouldn't be the bankers, the NGOs, and, uh, all the people, the technocrats who fund and bankroll the United States. So, Really, it may be the case that because there is a 9/11-style event on the way, uh, because they need it to take control of the internet. That'll be the IPatriot Act, which uh, what I mean won't have that name necessarily, but that's what it's going to be. It's it's Mm going to be some kind of cyber attack that will uh, cripple some kind of critical infrastructure. Maybe shut down the grid for a few weeks. Maybe it'll shut down a hospital, and lots of people will die. Maybe whatever it is that they're planning, it's going to happen. Blamed on Russia, of course. But now because of that, we need to control who can get on the Internet and not get on the Internet. And, and what do you know? We've built this wonderful system of a digital wallet and digital ID and Real ID 2020 has been, um, been doing you know, all of this stuff. We're just going to bring it all in in one fell mm-hmm. swoop. And these bills are up there. I've made this point before. Um, you know, Nancy Pelosi is not up until like three in the morning. Okay, I'm only on page eight hundred. I've got seven hundred pages more in this bill that you have to pass
8: before. To read it. <laughs> right, right, right.
4: <laughs> that, that's not how it works. These things are already written by lobbyists, by lawyers, by you know, deep state intelligence officials uh, and clerks. That's who writes these things. And the uh, the show people, were the Congress critters, they come out and put it on <laughs> to, respond to this or that event. So that's that's how you know that's that's the way your government works. Uh, the three branches of government are. Are you
1: telling me that Marjorie Green is an working. actress?
4: Yeah, uh, they, they all are to a greater or lesser extent. Some In are. AOC's genuine, an and, actress. Who's that? AOC. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, she's a better actress than she was a bartender, from what I understand. But. Yeah.
8: Uh, <laughs> besides so. that,
4: that's that's so it's coming. Whether they're going to give it to Biden now, or they they put other more you know people in there that are more competent. Maybe Biden resigns. Maybe Kamala takes, whether she's not any more competent. But who knows? Maybe they can um, you know drug her up enough to focus sufficiently on the teleprompter so she can actually read what's being written for her. I have no idea. Um, you know, but either uh, way, that you know. type of event is coming. It's just a question: Is that going to happen now, or are they going to let the red wave happen, or make it happen? and then say, see, they weren't happy, so we need a new course correction, or or whatever. I don't know.
1: Yeah, right. Janet Yellen is obviously in on it. Janet Yellen used to be uh, with the uh, federal banking system. Of course, it's a revolving door between the Federal Reserve and the Department of the Treasury, and currently she leads Treasury. Here she is talking about how we'll never, ever, ever be safe from COVID. As
9: long as the pandemic is raging in any part of the world, the United States is not safe.
1: See? Any part of the world, any cases, until cases are down to zero, this is a Treasury department. Let, let, let me let me let me reemphasize this. Department of Treasury, the woman in charge of taking your taxes, woman in charge of balancing the budget, is worried about being safe from COVID. As long
9: as the pandemic is raging in any part of the world, the United States is not safe.
1: We're not safe, James, as long as one person, one human being in the world has the virus. We're not safe. This coming from the woman in charge of the IRS.
6: You know, that's a very good uh, quote you you put up there. And that definitely shows us what uh, these banksters are looking to do. Basically, this is an operation, right? And uh, Ryan's laid it out perfectly. This is an operation that needs time to develop, and they are seeding in us uh, these ideas so that we will quickly assume uh, that in from our passive into our active when the time comes, you know, so they, they need to keep uh, telling us these things so that we can stop trusting the idea that we are safe, you know, and this is the same way they painted uh, the war on terror, right? You looked under your bed, there was a terrorist there mm-hmm. with a gun or with a machete or whatever. And then you looked in your mailbox and you had anthrax. You know, this is this is the way this is the way they control us. And this is a way uh they're they're using to keep us from um uh, organizing ourselves into uh a, a co- coherent counterattack. Uh yeah. so we can, yeah, we, we can't let this stand, but unfortunately a lot of us, like I said last week, a lot of us are just uh Going to be happy enough to say yeah you know i don't know what's happening but i trust you and uh give me a digital identity already
1: yeah right no and you bring up a good point james and this is something that so it sort of just struck me the other day and i was tweeting about it brother martin the the, the global war on terror the GWAT. remember when we declared war against a, a tactic <laughs> we we didn't <laughs> declare war against a nation state right. or a people Or even really an ideology, we declared war on a specific uh, method of tactics. We declared war on terrorism, and you're either with us or you're against us, Brother Martin. And I remember vividly, I don't know if you do because you're a little bit younger, but uh, (laughs) I remember the daily, there were daily color coded. Days, brother Marty, it was like, oh, today's a maroon threat day, or today's a green threat day. There's no, there was never any green threat days. a turquoise,
7: turquo- turquo threat? Yeah, yeah, right, right. It was like magenta you know how day. you know today's how
1: the, the, the yes. newscaster is like, oh, it's going to be a magenta <laughs> air quality day. You know, like the air quality is so bad, and it's, so, and maybe that's just an LA thing. And I've lived there four times, so I, uh, I've probably breathed enough uh smog you to keep going to, back for more. I've got the black lung pop, but. Uh, but brother, whatever happened to the global war on terror? Did we win? Did here, did the, did the TSA win? Did the TSA foil terrorism? (laughs) Is that like, are we, are we really going to make that claim?
7: Well, it seems so because every time I go through an airport, whenever I go through an airport, uh, I get the same treatment as a Muslim or my Catholic. I mean, I'll, I just get the wand and then I get to go through. So, I guess, I don't know. But um, I guess it, it stopped turning profit in a sense that, you know, even for the Republican side, pro life is simply a way to get votes because when push comes to shove, whenever legislation is on the table um, in DC, Republicans never step up to, to actually do the job. And so I think the, the war on terrorism was simply something that uh, bought votes for a particular party in the country. And as soon, as soon as it stopped giving them votes, as soon as it stopped being something that was on someone's mind, um, then there's no reason to, to continue pushing it. Uh, I think Donald Trump, in one, in one sense, kind of killed it in the, in the sense that, okay, there was ISIS whenever he was um, being elected and his thing was, you know, you can destroy ISIS, all that kind of stuff. He showed how quickly it could be done because it, it happened within his first uh, uh, first four years. And then we n- never really experienced anything, at least at home. Um, that was of that quality of that, from that motive, terrorism, Islamic, radical Islamic terrorism. He called it by his name. He defeated yeah. the enemy, so to speak. And, and then he moved on. And so he kind of, you're right, attitude.
1: that was sort of his role though, Ryan, his role was to end the global war on terror. His role was to discredit the bushes and sort of play to the idea that he was an outsider, that he was going to come in and stomp, you know, all these insider politicians that you know, baby Bush, maybe he planned 9-11, maybe he didn't. We don't we don't really know. Some of us have strong opinions. But he was the he was the cleanup guy, and he was supposed to turn the page on history, Ryan, and then introduce the bioterrorism state. So we're all supposed to forget about I remember how ISIS was JV under 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 Barack Hussein Obama, and then they took over like the entire Levant, and then Trump sort of just miraculously defeated them within a year and now we don't even talk about radical jihadists anymore i i think i think you're allowed to say the word jihadists on youtube now it's a, it's permissible speech <laughs>
4: that that's certainly the way it went uh, although under obama you had an increase of wars and then when his approval rating went down they brought uh bin laden out of a freezer and said oh look we just we just backed bin laden supposedly the best source of intel on those dastardly terrorists and then buried his body at sea we even updated the wikipedia page on islamic uh to say that uh, burial at sea is a normal thing in islam which actually it's not you're not supposed to do that unless there's a plague on the ship um it's the other way around but you know they put that in there because they knew somebody would cite that and, and scream foul about it uh so there definitely was still the war on transitive verbs in the background, mm-hmm. but it, it definitely <laughs> it was made to look that, uh, see, you know, Obama came in he won it. isn't that great. And, and, and part of the pulling bin Laden out of the freezer, claiming that we got him was uh, part of that narrative that, that mission accomplished narrative for Obama. Yeah. So then, yeah. you know, and, and then yeah. see quietly, you have the framework that would be absolutely necessary for the biosecurity state, which is Obamacare. And this is one of the things I noted at the time, Obamacare really didn't change a whole lot, except make your health insurance cover even less than it already covered. Uh, Because everyone's like, oh, he covered everybody. Isn't it great? Obamacare did not cover one single person. It made a law that you would get fined unless you bought health insurance. Um, Although there's still ways to get out of that. I've successfully gotten out of that for years. But uh, you'll be fined if you don't have health insurance. Why this desperate push to get you in health and health insurance? And I said, well, you know, at the time, I said, well, I, I assume that that's just for, uh, you know, you know, bailing out the insurance companies or something. It's a lot deeper. Than I noticed it when I, uh, you know, picked up a gig substitute teaching in public schools. My first time back in public schools in like ten years at the time, and I'm looking at all the paperwork consider Obamacare stuff. And I was like, well, there's I got HIPAA violations all over the place. I shouldn't have a student's medical history sitting where someone like me can see it.
7: Mm-hmm. Well, why is
4: it here? And it was all about aggregating and centralizing all of that healthcare information, especially for children, especially that child care uh, health info, because that's part of, the, you know, the ID project, the real ID or the ID 2020 project that all yeah. coalesced together. And so that was a critical you know, platform put in place under Obama. Then you have the uh, Medical Health Preparedness Act of 2011, which laid all the groundwork for everything Trump did when Trump was in office and the lockdowns that were then followed in every state and the credence to the whole narrative that Trump gave in every way. It was all there in 2011. I actually thought all this stuff was coming down in swine flu because that was on my radar of time. Then swine flu happened. It was a nothing burger and it disappears. So I said, well, all right, maybe maybe they're not running with this now. And I forgot all about it until the uh, the uh, unspecified virus of unspecified origin showed up in 2020. So I think that, that was yeah. the major pivot. And then Trump was the next major you know, pivot away into, see, we, we've defeated the terrorists. What was it? Trump's big thing? I've defeated ISIS, whereas Obama didn't do it, uh, even though that was Obama's line. You know, you run that. You're never going to defeat ISIS because ISIS is a U.S. intelligence-created faculty, just like Al Qaeda was. They're all U.S. intelligence creations, um, loosely or more directly controlled as needed, and you're not going to defeat them until you defeat the intelligence agencies.
1: That's right. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's a fair point. you you mentioned children, especially for children, collecting data on them. We're going to be talking about children quite a bit. I have three or four different videos uh, relating to children. Uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida has really triggered a bunch of teachers who are obsessed with grooming children. But there's one more Biden video that I forgot to play. And uh, while we're still talking about presidents and the war on terrorism, uh, this is Biden... <laughs> At the same event that Obama's at, saying that he's still Barack Hussein Obama's vice president, I, I think he was joking on this one. I don't know.
2: Thank you very much. Please. My name is Joe Biden. I'm Barack Obama's <laughs> vice president. And I'm Jill Biden's husband. By the way, the only reason Jill's not here today, she's working. <laughs> She's teaching. (laughs) And so I just want you to know that's why she's not here.
1: I just want you to know, Barack, Jill would have been here if she could. It's not a slight against you. She's teaching. And teachers are super important. Just look at this teacher and how important he thinks his job is.
0: But so the don't say gay bill is actually also the don't say straight bill. Here's a section if you wanted to pause and screenshot. Because of Florida's choice to keep things vague, so there's a big umbrella of which to discriminate, they also included straight people. So these are the straight things that you won't be able to talk about in Florida schools when this is enacted. Gender signs need to be taken off all of the bathroom doors. You cannot line up kids in girl rows and boy rows. You cannot talk about traditional families or a family with a man and a woman because that's heterosexuality. And I don't want y'all to talk about that in school. You won't be able to celebrate Mother's Day or Father's Day in school. You won't be able to celebrate Christmas in school. I don't know what orientation the immaculate conception was, but I don't want my child subjected to that. What other examples of heterosexuality prevalent in K through third grade can y'all come up with? Let me know in the comments. He did it again, Immaculate Conception. Secular people,
4: even some Catholics, they get this mixed up. The Immaculate Conception has nothing to do with Christmas, which OIV does, but it's not the feast of
1: yeah. Christmas,
4: the incarnation.
1: Yeah. I, I, would say, I would say I would say that. Like that. Anyway. A, lot, a lot of normie Catholics get that messed up, Brother Martin. A lot of them don't know that the Immaculate Conception isn't explicitly referring to the conception of our Lord, Jesus or Christ. Or even the
7: consequences of it, and even if it's written blatantly in the uh, Catechism of the Council of Trent, so even some legionary of Christ p- uh, priests get that wrong about the effects of it and whether <laughs> or not Our Lady experienced the consequences of original sin. But, hey. mean, lead, did, did, did <laughs> what don't legionary of Christ? Satan? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> exactly, them. That's the same group. They, they don't know the catechism.
1: Now, this man, uh, James, he's a teacher in Florida. He's obviously very triggered because Florida is now one of the only states in the United States where they 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 uh, restrict you from grooming children at least until the fourth grade. In most states in these United States, you can groom children prior to the fourth grade. But in Florida now, the big news is that we're just going to like hold off on the grooming until your fourth grade or fifth grade when you can handle it. And that has triggered a bunch of these groomers.
6: Well, actually, uh, it's Musa al-Hamani to you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I am going to be, this is my moniker, because I, I want to see if this works. When I wear my cleric outfit to the airport next time, I want to know if I'm going to evade the uh, hands of the TSA. So mm-hmm. from now on, no, you know, you no. I
7: here's here's the thing. I was right right in front of a, an a Muslim, whatever, full full gown, all that kind of stuff, <laughs> on the floor, and they got they got felt up too. So there was no discrimination there. <laughs> I almost I yeah, almost felt right. like they had to fill me up in order to <laughs> fill up the, the Muslim because right, the Muslim right, was mostly right. a carrying right, a bomb or whatever. You got tagged,
1: like, right, I, right. I had I had it's to be get fair, you're you, you were probably going through a pretty red airport i mean i going to get through jfk no no, problem. no no
6: problem at all no problem at all anyway um yeah to to your question about these uh these uh wh- whatever you want to call them uh they they are they <laughs> do it <laughs> no it's a huge problem right yeah the huge problem still is public education and going back to what ryan has said we have given them uh, almost 20 years Maybe, uh, maybe even 25, 30 years of the ability to, uh, to, to basically uh, get information from our children and to use that information to push uh, an agenda. And the fact that people like this are getting through whatever uh, your authorities and they're standing in front of your uh, a classroom and teaching children is a problem. How, mm-hmm. how, how did we get this far? You know, it, you know, you can't turn this away from the idea that if you give the state uh, the power. Now, who was it? Um, Rules for Radicals. Um, who wrote that? Who wrote that book? Saul Alinsky. Uh, exactly. This is an Alinsky tactic. So we've gotten away. We've gotten away from the idea that the, the, children, <laughs> the children cannot be wards of the state. Right on. The side. the children cannot be wards of the state, but this is what we've created. The, tr- the children are, in fact, wards of the state and the state thinks it does have the right, you know, to educate the yeah. children the way it sees fit. Um, yeah. And it has empowered these people through uh the college education that they that they have. Right. it started it, start, it started at co- colleges and universities, you know, implanting these ideas into people. And now we're we're sort of we're so-called reaping the, the you know, the benefits, the benefits of, of this. It's mm. a huge problem. And
1: it's not just happening on the coast though, James. No, I mean, it's not. Here's, it's a, happening here's a school yeah. in Overland Park, Kansas. There's a school teacher talking about why it's so important to groom young children, children younger than fourth grade.
3: When they've been exposed to information, they're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it, right so there is no you know what we think is always age appropriate. It is if they don't know about it, if they haven't been exposed to it, then yeah, you can give them time to develop. but once they're exposed to it and social media is going to do it. right. I know some kindergartners in the school with cell phones. Mine had a cell phone, and so they they get access to information they can they can learn quickly. The world is teaching them faster than probably you are. And so um, the extent to which we can have conversations with parents around um, how do we want to um, approach talking about LGBTQ plus because there are students as early as kindergarten who are identifying um, as uh, non-gender conforming, uh, non-binary um, that are uh, trans.
1: It's super important that we talk about it in kindergarten, James. It's super important.
6: Well, yeah, because this, kindergartners this guy, have cell phones. Yeah, yeah. This guy's a failure. So basically, uh, what he's saying is, if if anybody who's a minor has access to, to such information, then you should acquiesce and just give them everything at once. You know, there's no dialing back. This guy's a failure. Why is this guy even teaching? You know, yeah. uh, it, it, I mean this this guy is the definition of a cook. Right. He's a cook. You yeah. know. So. He's a cook. Yeah, he says his child has a cell phone. And so, because his child has a cell phone, has access to to cell phone, his child invariably is seeing lots of things. And so, you know, why not just let him have everything?
1: Now, in his defense, and I'm not defending the guy, but if a child does have a cell phone, they're likely to see this from Nickelodeon.
5: In honor of International Transgender Day of Visibility, meet Time and Nickelodeon's 2021 Kid of the Year finalist, Rebecca Brusahoff.
6: Growing up in the LGBTQ community has given me a different perspective on how I see the world. Trans kids are so much more than their gender identity, and it's so important for people to listen to kids. I wish for a world where everyone can be lifted up and celebrated.
5: So today, and every day, we celebrate those who are helping others realize that everyone should be proud of what makes them who they are.
1: Brother Martin, this is absolutely grooming is happening at all levels. Nickelodeon is just the latest example. Disney uh, broke last week where they were talking about how they're going to inject this into all of their content. the 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 media is lost. The news media is lost. The university and school systems are lost. the The culture war has been lost. And if a parent is to give access to information to uh the to to the internet to their children they're going to find this stuff 100 they're going to find it and once you find it you can't walk it back no
7: it's true uh first of all to this guy in in overland park uh i would simply say it, it makes no his argument makes no sense because if he introduced a a fourth grader to calculus. It's not like they're ready to soak up calculus. There's such thing as cumulative <laughs> knowledge. You know, you first learn addition, then you need multiplication, uh, division, algebra, and you work your way up to geometry, trigonometry, and calculus. So no, knowledge builds on knowledge. And just because someone is, is presented, I mean, I can imagine the first thing a, a kid asks is, what does the word binary mean? You know, um, kids need, need also to, to increase their vocabulary in order to, order to get to this stage. But what they see visibly um, that there's this boy dressing up as a girl. They, they begin to think this is okay. They don't understand the full concept of what this kid is actually doing or what their parents are doing, giving them hormone blockers, all this kind of stuff. Um, they'll just see a boy dress up as a girl and, and, and run with that. So no, they they don't completely understand the full extent of, of what's going on with, with, with the pink, blue, and white flag or whatever else. Um, but as far as introducing your kids to – to cell phones, it's it's just a completely bad idea. Um, social media is not necessary for, for kids, um, really at all. I mean, it once it's a, it's a social networking tool, especially for professionals to meet people in other in other places to get to, to know each other to 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 network. Basically, that is the business network. Um, but as far as keeping up with friends, like if you don't have your friend's personal cell phone number, if you don't have their email, you know, you don't, what, what do you need social networking for really? Um, keep in touch with the people that are close to you um, that's sufficient write letters uh, there there was plenty of ways before social media before the internet that people were able to to communicate with their loved ones um, social media is, is definitely not not necessary so I would yeah, disagree yeah. I, I would disagree very much with with teenagers high school students all that kind of stuff having um, a need for social media uh, if, if you're if you're a businessman if you're in the in the workforce I mean, and, and...
1: kindergartners though I mean that that teacher that groomer teacher said that his child as a kindergartner had a smartphone
7: i never did when i was a kid i
1: I think a lot of trads, ryan are going to be surprised by this because so many of us are protective of our children and we try to keep preserve their innocence is essentially what we're trying to do whereas the world is trying to deprive them of their innocence starting at the u.n and working its Mm -hmm. way down but it's so prevalent in secular society ryan i i think it will shock us the moment we leave our little trad bubbles To find that there are, in fact, kindergartners with smartphones and Facebook pages.
4: And those kids that grow up with smartphones and are using social media from the time they're in kindergarten, that is going to affect their development, the way they take in any information, their attention span, uh, whether they can or can't read a book, whether they can, you know, how they think. And so, every last thing about that person is going to be incredibly. Uh, different and even contrary to how your homeschool kid is learning with books, with writing, with things where he's not able to, you know, we, if you're a conscientious parent and you you keep these things at arm's length, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a com- they're going to be completely different people because they've been formed by the world, as it were. They've been completely formed by the world. And, and that's one of the big uh, the big problems that, that's going to come down with this, is that it, you know, we, we have to think, too, like English Catholics under Elizabethan times, where you know, you homeschooled kids as best as you could, you because I mean, they didn't have truancy laws back then, and you paid to send your kids. It was customary before that to send them to various colleges, but now you couldn't if you wanted to keep them Catholic. So you kept them home. You educated them home. But now they're like, well, I want to take a law degree. I'll we'll send you to the continent. No, it's illegal for me to do that without the king's leave, the queen's leave. I'm going to have to go to Oxford, and you get to a case like John Donne, uh, the famous poet. He was Catholic. He was, uh, you know, it, it, his mother was protective of their education, young, very early on. Uh, she sent him to university, and he was supposed to keep an eye on his brother. And so his, I can't remember his brother's name, but his brother had um, w- was caught uh, protecting, harboring a priest, William Herring, blessed William Harrington who was martyred and his brother was sent to Fleetwood prison and where he died because from disease or something at the prison and done from there on questioned his Catholic faith, wondered, should I be Catholic? And, and he basically looked to, well, if, if I just swear the oath of supremacy, be an Anglican, why I can do whatever I want. And if I'm going to be a Catholic, well, I'm, I'm probably going to end up like my brother. And he gave up the faith and he remained and he ended up dying as a church of England clergyman after a long and very complicated life. But that's you know, we got to think too. Back in those days, we got to pres- do our best to preserve our children's souls and, and and provide for them as best we can to go into the world. And, and that's why the English Reformation, I think, is a really important example because you're one world within a larger world. If you are a homeschooling family where your kids are reading books and they have to write in hand and write in cursive in uh, things of this sort, and then they, they encounter somebody who's being raised in the world today. It, it's, it's like Orwell talks about old speak and new speak old speak could not be translated into new speak. And that's essentially what it is at that point. So uh, you guys,
1: yes. if you knew that. I want to take an opportunity and, and, and present something that may be an unpopular opinion. It's something I've been mulling over for quite some time, you know, the fact of the idea of the matter is, is that public school is, is very obviously a mortal sin in these United States. There are exceptions to that, but I say it almost every week. In fact, we have a whole segment called Public School is a Mortal Sin. It's a segment that we have, and that's why we're railing on public school. But uh, many people have, re- have this rejoinder, and they say, well, the ideal is Catholic school. If we had good Orthodox, traditionalist, conservative Catholic schools, that would be the ideal. And I think a lot of people want to buy into the fact that that is the ideal. But I want to present one thing to you in this book entitled "The Life of Saint Joseph," uh, and you can find it for as low as like twenty bucks, but in this book, The Life of Saint Joseph, which is uh, some some visions of the life of Saint Joseph and and uh, it was it's miraculously veiled, revealed revealed uh, to a a sister who wrote this, a, I think she's a Benedictine sister. She re, re, recounts the fact that Joseph and Mary chose to homeschool our Lord specifically because they wanted to prevent any of the worldliness that had infected even the religious schools in Jerusalem uh, from, or in, in Israel from uh, impacting our Lord's development at all. So I will say this to the homeschooling families out there. If homeschooling is good enough for the holy family, it's good enough for your family. And just a note of encouragement to a lot of moms who are out there who are thinking, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with this and I, I don't have advanced degrees in education or anything like that. You know what? You are better off with your children staying home playing checkers in a safe environment then you are sending them into the pits of hell where they are going to be
5: taught by people like this. Here it goes. I am a girl. I am a trans woman. My new pronouns are she and they. And I suppose um, that this is my coming out video of sorts. While I was non-binary, I would often say that I felt less and less like a boy every day. Um, But now I realize... It really was every day I was feeling more and more like a girl. And I didn't know that. Was so scared and a little bit ashamed to even consider myself back on the binary as a trans woman. But ultimately, I have to honor that's who I am. And that's who I am supposed to be. You know, when I was four years old, I came to my mom and I said, I am a girl. And, you know, God made a mistake. And she said, you know, God doesn't make mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. I'm I'm here for a reason. And now it feels like I get to honor that inner child within me that, that knew that so long ago. And I finally,
1: that inner child, that's what they're obsessed with. I want to talk about two things here with respect to these people, these disordered people. Uh, I'll go to James and then brother and then Ryan, and you can pick up on either one, James. What I am observing is that number one, we are witnessing an absolute war on reality itself. The war on reality has been happening; it's been it's being waged for hundreds of years. But we're in the phase of the war on reality in which the the specific campaign is against being, and and uh, whether or not you are a thing, whether or not you exist, whether or not a thing can exist, and whether or not you are a man or a woman is part of being, part of identity, the principle of identity. And so that's that's really what we're witnessing, and the devil is, is having a heck of a time with that. The second thing, and again, you can respond to either one of these two things, James, is the floor will be yours. But the second thing that we have to discuss about this is the fact that these disordered people are biologically incapable of reproducing in and of themselves, yet all species of creatures are interested on some level in reproduction. And so the manner in which they choose to reproduce is the recruitment of children, which we call grooming. Since they can't have children themselves, they want to steal your children, my children, the children of the people watching the rundown. So uh, either, 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 or both James, the war on identity on being itself and, or the, the obsession with grooming have the floor
6: um <clears throat> it's yeah it's quite tragic um people today are just not content with uh reality so they have to create their own version of what they perceive to be reality whether or not they trust their senses right so their senses to actually tell them the opposite but they fight against the urge to Respect reality, to respect being, right? And so this thing that was talking about its uh, childhood and what its childhood was uh, purport, purportedly suffering or lacking is actually a gross uh, representation of reality in the form of his imagination. And so when you when you're allowed to sort of imagine lots of things, I mean, nothing is wrong with with imagination, you know. I mean, boys boys children you know we uh you know we have kids and the kids play and they they are creative they're Im- imaginative but the idea of uh persisting with the idea to take something that is not real and make it real uh for the sake of satisfying some sort of deep-seated urge is is a problem you know um i you know i'm not a five-year-old or six-year-old chinese girl you know, I, I would be sick if I were to say I, you know, that, that that's who I was, you know. And, and like uh, that the you open with a pastor saying uh, something to the effects of, uh, you know, you, you have in your DNA what will tell you whether or not you are a boy or a girl. And people just cannot be satisfied with that concept of that that binary concept, you know. Uh, and so they have to create all these other things in order to be. In order to feel as though they belong, right, and that's part of it, right? So it's sort of narcissistic. It's narcissistic. It's the same thing we see in um, in the alphabet, whatever you want to call it, uh, L M N O P Q R S T U V Y X Y Z. The whole slew, of them. you know, is this is the problem. Yeah, <laughs> right. And S <laughs> J. And S J. You know, so there's a problem with uh, with reality that is running uh, rampant, and we are. Yeah we're not doing any ourselves any favors by sort of uh allowing this to to persist it's it's uh demonic in that it flies against the face of uh reality of that being you know uh that we have been given you know and uh it's it's basically uh choosing to be it's to believe in uh a nominalism you know uh
0: mm-hmm.
6: you know it's yeah it's 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 uh it's a mess
1: you know, uh, this sort of idea of whether or not something is real, whether or not I'm real. All we need to do is read to our children the book, The Velveteen Rabbit. I mean, The the Velveteen Rabbit is a story about a rabbit that is trying to become real. He was obsessed with being real. Am I real or am I a toy? And it's only through the suffering and the pain and all that that he passes from unreality into actual reality and and it's a beautiful story and it's very allegorical um but we no longer have a desire ryan or sorry uh, brother you're next uh we no longer have a desire to deal with the real some people in the chat have very astutely pointed out that the ultimate reality is is god and our our best interaction our our only our really our only interaction outside of a miraculous you know um, um event with god that 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 he would give to us uh, in his wisdom is, is hearing the mass and attending mass is our, is our link. The sacraments are our link to the ultimate reality. And it's the most real thing that we can do is, is hear the mass people who are long, I'm way downstream derivative devoid of the mass for generations because five generations up they're, 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 they're apostates, you know, and then their, their, their ancestors are, Freemasons, and then their ancestors are, you know, are, are even worse than that, and disordered. And so this this spirit of, of disorder comes down upon them, and then you, all of a sudden, you know, they, they don't even know if they're real or, or not, if they're a man or a woman. These people have no connection to reality. They have no connection to God, and as as James said, they they ignore what their five senses are telling them, which is how we're supposed to interpret reality. So all that being said, you know, we. I, I'm not saying we can solve this with the Velveteen Rabbit, but we can solve this as children when we just have good storytelling, uh, when we think about concepts deeply. But the storytelling that's happening right now is Drag Queen Story Hour.
7: I was afraid you were going to show a video. (laughs) (laughs) But I think you showed them in the past. But, you know, actually before nominalism, which comes from William and um, about universals and whether or not they exist truly or not, um, I think really the the biggest philosophy that is influencing our, our modern culture is actually transcendental realism and actually realism is is something that we constantly use as, as Catholics and it comes so, somewhat on a spectrum from radical idealism with Plato saying that forms essence exist in, in some sort of mind outside uh, of, of real things and that we learn about these forms prior to our coming into existence because we exist before we exist and then we're born and all learning is simply a recollection. It's a remembering of these forms that we, we, we knew beforehand. And the forms actually exist in another idea, another realm, a, a, a platonic realm, so to speak, and not really in things. Aristotle is the one that says, no, 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 Forms exist in things, ex, 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 essences exist in things, and we extract them from these real things. There's also another kind of uh, philosophy that that uses the, the term realism, and that's transcendental realism from Immanuel Kant. And his is pretty interesting um and I, and I was very interested in learning about his philosophy uh when i, when I was studying philosophy I'm studying philosophy um precisely because i think it's, it's very very similar to virtual reality which is something that, that's uh very pertinent to 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 modern day i mean video games all that kind of stuff and uh, that we're experiencing today and it's that there there's two things the the nomina and the phenomena the nomina are things in themselves things that exist in reality the phenomena are the things in our mind the pictures that we actually see in our mind And so there's data that we receive from the uh, nomina in reality, and we interpret them through the categories in the mind, such as space and time. And then we actually see the the things that we see in our mind. And so what's in our mind isn't necessarily what what is out in reality, the the nomina, the things in themselves, but only through the categories. And Immanuel Kant can speak of objective reality because every single human being has the same categories to interpret things. And I, I compare it to virtual reality because it's almost like um, I don't know if you've ever played those video games where you put the glasses on and there's like a green screen or whatever around you or whatever around you doesn't matter. But you're just like, I don't know, shooting tanks, playing video, air, air games, all that kind of stuff moving around. Um, but the reality is just right here covering your eyes. Um, it, it's it's somewhat similar to Immanuel Kant. So what I well, the way I the reason why I think that this this sort of transcendental realism is more pertinent to to these transgender the LGBTQ people is that rather than interpreting things through the intellectual categories of Immanuel Kant, they're inter- interpreting things through their psychological uh, malformation, their, their psychological deficiencies, their psych- psychological problems. And they're interpreting the nominal, whatever whatever's in reality through those categories and then recreating whatever image in their mind, according to the categories of their, of their psychological disabilities, their, their, their moral deficiencies, all that kind of stuff. So rather than it being something intellectual, the categories, it's something fr- from the will or from uh, I don't know some, some something psychological uh, from within them. And so I, I think that's that's more or less the, the the philosophy that's that's pertinent to to transgender transgenders and all, all that kind of stuff and and uh, our society's acceptance of it because everybody um, is very keen on their emotions. Emotions rule the world. It's not the intellect. It's not truth. Um, it's, it's not anything like that. So it's very hard to dialogue with these people in a sense. It's very hard to talk to them. And it's, it's very hard to convince them the truth because they're not, they, they don't understand objective reality in the same way we do. And that things exist outside of the mind. And if we didn't, if any, of the four of us didn't exist, that'd be the same things in reality as if they weren't. But for the transcendental realist, that's not necessarily true. You're, you're muted, Mike.
1: Ryan, why don't you just pick up on this thread, this philosophical thread about, you know, the war on reality and what we're witnessing. And then we'll go around the horn one more time and just talk about grooming and and the need to the need to recruit children. And that's uh, that's a more base uh, instinct that these people are being guided by. But philosophically, Ryan, land the plane for us if you can.
4: Well, essentially, it starts in metaphysics and you have your realist physics, metaphysics from the scholastic period. And then as you move into the early modern period and specific, I mean, you have Descartes, obviously. And Descartes gets the ball rolling with the, this absolute skepticism of, uh, you, know, <clears throat> do, you know, do we exist? How do I know I exist? How do I know that I'm here? And uh, yeah, because my senses tell, tell me that. And then as uh, Voltaire said, we exported Descartes to England and got him back with interest because then you have the English empiricists, who more <laughs> or less uh, is most specifically in, in two, two ways, Ah, uh, most dramatically with Berkeley, and uh, it's spelled Berkeley, the the place in California is appropriately named after him, uh, who said that there's no such thing as matter. There's accidents. There's characteristics. You know, but but matter. You know, th- that doesn't actually exist. It's just a this metaphysical construct from the scholastics to get rid of. And then you have David Hume, and Hume argues that you know the senses you know, mediate things that are pleasurable to us, but we can't trust them. Our intellects can't trust them. So we can't really know what's really there. Kant takes that on uh, with, and Kant actually prior to that used to be a scholastic, but for whatever reason, he accepts Hume. He completely accepts uh, this premise from Hume and proceeds from there with the critique of pure reason and uh, and the critique of, um, what was the other critique? I forget, Uh, practical reason. And so And following that, you know, you get Fichte, who was one of Kant's disciples. And so you keep talking about this noumena, this thing that exists, but we can't really see it. Why don't don't we call it BS on this thing like we ought to? Obviously, he's not using it in this language. Uh, I mean, more more elevated German. But um, he's basically saying, let's just stop pretending like there's really a noumena. It's all phenomena. The mind makes reality as it will. And, and, and Kant is kind of moved by that and, and the, by the tradition that that Fichte and Feuerbach and people like that tell us Kant accepted that so that on his deathbed, so Fichte then you know moves in and then he re, restarts Averroes' notion of the transcendental ego and, and it's, everything becomes this all of our knowledge is now disconnected from the reality that we observe and see uh, and, and dependent upon basically the idea of the subjective Uh, characterization that our minds put on reality, that's reality now. And then you see that in pragmatism, William James, and most famously one of his disciples, John Dewey, uh, as in Dewey Decimal System, as in this major figure in American uh, uh, education. And they held a pragmatism, which more or less says that uh, my will makes reality, not the other way around. So Dewey even says it very explicitly, he says, today I I walk by this rose bush and I see it's pink. Tomorrow it will be blue because I have decided it is blue. That's the guy who remade modern education. So what do you know? Um, but beside any of that, that these ideas and these notions, there they don't you know, exist in a vacuum. Combine that with um, where culture and media has gone to the notion that our bodies are this um, merely a vessel and, and, and they're, they're malleable and changeable as we will them to be. That, that's a concept that is older than than we realize it is. And so, and here we are now moving where the consequences of all these things is rejection of metaphysics basically. And evolution obviously is another one. I think evolution plays into this a lot bigger than we realize. Darwinism uh, essentially means that you know that there is, the body's change, and the essence of what a human being is is something that has changed throughout history according to Darwinianism and even modern uh, Evolutionary biology would hold largely the same thing. We're becoming something else. We'll transcend this uh, popular idea in science fiction is that our souls will transcend, where they no longer need a body. They'll just act in the world as if our souls were a material thing rather than an immaterial thing. So all of these things come together, and then you add in you know the, the move to transgenderism and, and everything trans now. That's that's all the rage, even though it's. There's actually plenty of homosexuals that are not big on the trans thing good because it's taking attention away from them. And they have radical feminists. They actually have a, a term for them. Uh, was for, oh, no, turf. That's it. Uh, uh, trans exclusionary radical feminist. Right? Uh, uh, don't ask me how they come up with these things. But anyway, so like uh, J.K. Rowling, the, the writer of the Harry Potter books. Uh, we are not fans over here. But she just is like, hey, this is taking attention away from feminism. And she's, you know, screaming up and down, hey, there's no such thing as trans. And they're all freaking out on her. So, But they'll kill their own if they need to because God push the trans thing because that's going to lead you to the next one, which is transhumanism. And that's where the elites really want to push. The idea that, uh, you know, we're going to transcend the bodies. And ultimately, that's where the demonic comes in. God made them. What does it say? First thing in Genesis he made them male and female that's what it says in genesis the very first thing god made them male and female that's what he made and that's what satan now is trying to undo and so with this push now to because the real trans is transhumanism that's where it's all moving toward the idea we don't need these bodies anymore so you know you, you living in the pod and eating the bugs and all this stuff that's that's a preparatory phase for the next place they want to take you putting the chip in your brain and then it's everything becomes more and more removed from actual biology in their ideas all of this originates from the diabolic because it's a hatred of what god made male and female mm-hmm.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: yeah and and this this goes to the point of like i think a lot of let's say you know a lot of down-to-earth middle of the country blue-collar trad catholics who go to the sspx james are like look some of this philosophy is not important. It's a bunch of, you know, old German writers who are dead and people who are philosophizing James in their college, you know, um, classes and, and whatever. They don't really have an effect on me. But the truth of the matter is, is that philosophy is everything. In fact, if I in fact, I think Fulton Sheen even said, "If I know you, if I'm a dentist, and I have to know your philosophy before I would even accept you as a patient, because if your philosophy is wrong, you're not going to pay your bill." Um, and so, and so, the, a lot of this gets a little heady, and I think a lot of us can get lost in it. And I know I certainly do. But the idea of ignoring what your eyes are telling you—most people, even children, know that that's dumb. That's absolutely dumb. And only a PhD could convince you to ignore what your eyes and ears are telling you.
6: Yeah, you're absolutely right, um, Mike. And uh, it, it flies in the face of what uh, we were created. I mean, we were really created um, to, as children to be in a household with uh, mother and father where our parents are helping to Form our minds and to help us put things in order because our minds as children are not yet formed in a way that we can understand uh things that we perceive right so we see things we might not understand concepts we might not understand certain uh you know things that are laid out you know uh before us and so our parents help to help to uh to form us and to to put things in order for us now You know, when this formative aspect of child-parent relationship is missing, uh, we have children then ascribing to incorrect and moral ideas formed in their minds, right, by outside forces. And then this basically perpetuates into adolescence, into Mm -hmm. adulthood. I mean, this is why we have such a huge uh, demonic rush to arrest the minds of children at such an early stage. You know, so you you get them really early and then you crush everything that is in them that that sees that reality. And this is why they love broken families. This is why they they want uh, uh, children who come from broken families. And so yep. it enables these outside actors to have an impact on the formation of these children and then to yep. truly carve their minds uh, in, in this uh, demonic state. You know, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this is uh, an attack on reality.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, All right. Let's talk very briefly about groomers. I think we've all kind of made the point they groom brother Martin because they can't reproduce. They can't have their own children. So they want your children, whether or not they're doing this consciously or subconsciously, that's what we're witnessing right now. And, and for some reason it has had an, we're seeing it in spades. It's an explosion of grooming to the point now where even uh, we even have a groomer on the Supreme court as of today.
7: It, it don't, it's, it's shocking, really. It, it really is bewildering because I mean, what 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 how does one respond? And, and it's just it's just a matter of fact. It's just a matter of fact that there's so many people out there that are willing to either commit this act or else permit it. And, and you ask why? I mean, are those permitting it also themselves groomers? Um, that they want to. it's it it really it, it's it's mind-boggling. And it, it's almost so so dangerous to to, to constantly and really dive deep into because who knows what kind of horrors that we're going to find uh thinking about these things i mean even also i mean the saints have told us it's it's essential that we meditate on hell uh but not every single day lest we despair and so when you think about literally hell which is this, this the reality of these groomers the groomers in our country trying to take over our kids it's like yeah we need to prepare but it's like it, it's such a disgusting reality um that, that people would one do that and two protect it but we live in this. We live in this society. We we live in the in in a country where laws aren't going to protect your children. You have to. Um, so it's 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 time to, for parents to step up, pull kids out of public school, pull kids out of Catholic school, because of course Catholic schools take money from the government, and whoever pays the piper calls the tune. Yeah, right. um, so it's it's time for for parents just to be proactive, um, because they know the situation. Um, I don't I don't know to 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 dive into actually psychologically dismantling the situation um to be honest i don't know who can survive
1: well here's here's like kind of the, the the main takeaway for me ryan the fact that we commonly refer to it as grooming says that it's 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 nurture not nature and for all the money that's ever been spent to try to find the disordered genes that they've never been found um, and if anybody has any any disposable income, it would be dual income, no kids, dinks who would who are invested in finding this gene that doesn't exist that has eluded scientists for seventy years. Um, it's It's nurture, not nature, it's grooming. it can be it can be compelled into children. All you need is to give them a little bit of abuse. They know this. And, and they, they're they showing their cards. They are proving to us that they know this. Um, so I think the nature versus nurture debate is over, um, and the science is settled.
4: Well, we pretty much know that, knew, knew that. If there was, in fact, a gay gene, that would really suggest that God makes people that way else why wouldn't there be, you know, but the fact is that it was always a bunch of nonsense. It was, it was back in the day, the the gene idea was meant to, to buttress that. Oh, this is natural. And because it's natural, you can't have any, you can't say anything against it. You can't discriminate against it. People just are this way. And you know, what are you going to do? And so, but we, every, the, the original experiment in that, like it came out and said, oh yeah, we proved it. What was the guy's name? Hammer or something like that. I was the scientist that came up with that. And then people challenged him, said, hey, you've got no control group. Well, the media had already trumpeted. They've discovered the gene. And I had to disabuse uh, religious students of that when I was teaching uh, religion back almost 20 years ago now. I had to disabuse them of this idea and show them the evidence that, you know, this wasn't even a valid study. They didn't actually isolate a gene. And that same gene is found in people that have no evidence of ever having, you know, homosexual activity of any sort, period. So it it really is, the science really is settled on that. You're not made that way. It it is a nurture thing. It is ways in which terrible things happen. And I don't want to, you know, dunk on anybody for a horrible trauma they suffered as a kid that today is an adult and and practices homosexuality. I I don't want to dunk on anyone for that. Uh, It's still, it's not, there's no science that can really tell us exactly what process will, in fact, make somebody turn out to be gay? But we know this by, by there's common denominators and there's common effects. Uh, clinical narcissism, that, that's that been noticed in, in studies of homosexuals for a very long time. Why does that happen? Massive inferiority complex, gender dysphoria, mm-hmm. all these things that are treatable. But not, not, not always to the same degree. And, and you have some people that you just can't fix that that particular tendency and inclination and and for those who want to be Catholic and want to live a good life but have homosexual inclinations it really is a struggle it's a cross and I, again and that's why I said I don't want to dunk on anybody who struggles this way but for those who have no interest in living a Catholic life or, a, or and are not Catholic and absolutely want to embrace uh this, this I don't know what you call it this degeneracy and call it their lifestyle or whatever they are the ones and you've played the videos week after week of these guys getting up there, oh yeah, oh you conservatives, oh you said we want to come after your children, well, you're right, we do. I, I forget which one I sang a song about it, right? Uh, please don't play it again. I can't take it. I, I, I need to read my liquor cabinet again. But um, but really, that that's uh, they know that. And now that there is a little bit of pushback, just a little bit of pushback. Don't talk about sex with K through three. That's what the bill says. Really? That's it? How about can we do it? How about they don't talk about it in school at all and people's parents hand down that knowledge the way it should? And I really do think that parents not handing that knowledge down to their kids in the right way and at the right time, in my opinion, it's mortally sinful because then you leave people who are ignorant, not innocent. And there's a difference. There's a huge difference. And if they're ignorant... I mean, they're, they're probably going to start out with problems in marriage. Maybe they'll work it out. but uh, And if, if they don't know yeah. any, especially when they get curious about their bodies, well, they're going to start looking. And they've got the Internet and the fondle slabs and everything right at their fingertips to discover, oh, there's this. And that's another yeah. way. So the, you have to give the contrary virtues to these vices. And you yeah. have to give the knowledge for countering them. And it, but it's not something that should be done in a school. So and you know they're coming after your kids because as soon as you put a bill, it basically says K through three don't talk about sex. They freak out. They're going nuts because you know that that's their plan. That's what they want to do. And it really is grooming. It may not be grooming for their abuse directly of these kids, as in they're not trying to you know, groom them to commit sexual acts with them. At least not now. But they are grooming them to be homosexual or trans or whatever it is now. Uh, Cause they would never, th- I'm sorry, kids would never seriously think about these matters, especially K through three, unless you put it in their heads to begin with. And when you put an idea in a kid's head, they're going to think about it. They're going to ruminate on it. Right. And that's why they should only be getting information that they need to know about the world and about their education and about, you know, this that and the other thing. And most especially about God, about the Holy faith, that's what they should be getting at that age so that's what it really is grooming it really is grooming them up to be part of this movement because that's how they see it to make this next generation because not everyone who's gay is necessarily grooming to to commit some act of pedophilia but they they all when they come out supporting this type of activity is because they want to make more of them as
5: we celebrate pride and the progress we've made over these past years there's still work to be done so to those of you out there who are still working against equal rights We have a message for you. You think we're sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked.
1: Funny, just this once, you're correct will convert your children happens bit
5: by bit quietly and subtly and you will barely notice
1: okay sorry i had to do i uh, ryan said not to do it and that's the reason why i did do it Nova Soto music, Nova Soto music <laughs> <laughs> oh we need to we need it we need an absolute show reset uh here's a show reset okay i feel better now i feel better i feel better maybe we need to see that one more time okay oh all right each person
7: has to go around the horn making their own sound effect for the slap (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: no. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, <pow.
4: laughs> oh, right. boy, you're gonna make me drink more <laughs> uh
1: let's get back to the national politics for a little bit um here we have we have matt getz who's a little bit of a fire brand florida congressman young guy uh apparently has cocaine uh parties with hookers and things But he asked really tough questions of Lloyd Austin. Lloyd Austin, by the way, was the four-star general in Iraq when I was there. And I met him. He's a very, very tall man. And I can tell you that uh, at the time when he was leading the war in Iraq, it was very much a... Well, he was a diversity hire.
9: You guys told us that Russia couldn't lose. You told us that the Taliban couldn't immediately win. And so I guess I'm wondering, what in the $773 billion that you're requesting today is going to help you make assessments that are accurate in the face of so many blown calls?
8: You've you've seen what's in our budget. You've seen how the budget matches the strategy. And so I'll let that speak for itself.
9: Well, I mean, it's I've also seen that we're behind, Mr. Secretary. We're behind in hypersonics. We failed to deter Russia. Last year, so China what, you, what, you, what, you, what do you mean
8: we're behind in hypersonics? How, how do you— how Okay, do you, who do you, who's ahead in hypersonics? How do you make that assessment? I don't know. How, is, is I make, make that assessment one? because is China one is one fielding hypersonic weapon systems, and we
9: are still developing them. I are make that assessment because Russia actually used one. By the way, your own people brief us that we are behind and that China is winning. Are you aware of the briefings we get on hypersonics?
8: I am certainly aware of briefings that we provide to to Congress. But
9: it's not just the hypersonics. It's all over the world. It's in Taiwan, where China last year flew more sorties than ever before. It's North Korea on pace, to shatter prior records, the number of missiles that they, that they are testing. And so while everyone else in the world seems to be developing capabilities and being more strategic, we got time to embrace critical race theory at West Point, to embrace socialism at the National Defense University, to do mandatory pronoun training. Do you assess- USF- You
8: know, it's, it's, again, this is the most capable, the most combat critical force in the world. It has been, and it will be so uh, going forward. Not and if we continue down this helps path. Us to do that. Not if we embrace socialism. The, the fact that you are embarrassed by your by your country. By oh your no no no! I'm embarrassed by I'm, your leadership. I'm
9: I am not embarrassed for my country. I wish it's we were not losing saying. to China. It's I what you we saying. You know what? The that's you know that is so that, that is so disgraceful that you would sit here and conflate your failures with the failures of the uniformed service members. You guys said that that Russia would overrun Ukraine in 36 days. You said that the Taliban would be kept at bay for months. You totally blew those calls. And maybe we would be better at them if the National Defense University actually worked a little more on strategy and a little less on wokeism.
8: Has it occurred to you that Russia has not overrun Ukraine because of what we've done? And our allies have done? But that was have baked you into your flawed assessment.
9: That? that was baked into your flawed assessment. And so yeah, I saw that the Obama administration the that we tried to, to destroy our military by starving it of resources. And it seems the Biden administration is trying to destroy our military by force feeding it wokeism. I yield back.
1: All right. Look, the, uh, uh, an exchange like that, James, it's red meat for the kind of boomer Fox News, GOPist type person who's like, yeah, finally someone is fighting back and they're they're telling the dod exactly what they need to hear that wokeism, that critical race theory is not are you guys both drinking the same thing to my question I'm, I'm
4: i'm yielding to the chat which want to know what we're drinking so this is the family reserve brothers <laughs> got the ground reserve which is also very very good
1: uh, who well brothers got what Oh, James. Right, no! James has or, uh,
4: hold up their uh no James. I'm sorry, James. James held yeah, up the grandfather of yeah, There's no walking back I that, God, who's where, the
6: Yeah, there. exactly. It's the, the, oh, the minorities man. got it. Yeah, got Somebody it. send oh, us rum.
1: One shade of brown guy on
4: the on the family guy, I with the shades of brown and everything.
1: nobody nobody asked me what I was drinking. I finished my Negroni. And I have oh, my okay. Costco size bottle of Rieger's Kansas City whiskey here, and you can see how nice. far into this thing I am. Mm. Um, it's going to be an interesting show. Anyway, I'm sorry,
6: Mike. You were talking about uh, Woken. I, I was talking about your... my water,
1: guys. <laughs> oh, the water! Oh my gosh. Okay, whatever. Where's your Where's your um, red plastic cup? With whiskey in it. <laughs> don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> your, your college party cup. Um, all right, James. Gosh, no, sorry, Mike. thank you. It's about uh, the di- the false dialectic, really, is what yeah, this is about. Yeah, right on the left. This is, about yeah. them, this is about them concealing the fact that it's really a uni party. This is about them throwing red meat to us. We all know that the DOD has always been a test bed, a test case for any of the social programs that the left wants to enact uh they have the perfect test tube uh they have a they have a cross section of the USSA uh who's under explicit obedience to their masters they're told when and where to tie their shoes when and where to report what and what to do and now they're told what to think and if they if they start a podcast for example like restoring the faith media Uh, they could be in major trouble because you're not allowed to be Catholic. You're not allowed to be Christian. You're not allowed to be awake. You have to be woke, but not awake. You have to be past tense, uh, slurred version of awake, which is woke. But Matt Getz, who's an absolute train wreck, he's a loser. He's a disaster. But Getz is out there throwing red meat, James, I think, to perpetuate this this uh this this false dialectic that there is a right that there is a left that there is resistance to what is happening and if you just vote harder if you just re- stay invested in the system if you keep watching Fox News and if you keep uh donating to you know to to whatever campaign to Ted Cruz or to or to Mike Lee uh, that that something something will give something will change
6: yeah it's a huge problem and I mean right now we're talking about the uh Midterm elections coming up, and this is probably a, a way for uh, uh, Matt Gates to sort of uh, push the agenda of the the more conser- conservative, uh, you know, uh, side of the Republican Party, if there's ever such a thing. Uh, but you're right; we keep arriving at the same at the same place. You might have one or two or three voices that seem to be on the outside. But, but in the end, you know, I mean, even if those voices were on the outside, what is that going to do when you have the uh, a majority of the Republicans in the Senate, for instance, uh, not not able to use their power, you know, to thwart the confirmation of whatever her name is, Kay Jackson? You know, it's such an embarrassment, you know, and I, I posted today on Twitter. I said something to the effect of, hey, look, you know, the uh, UNI party has now voted to confirm uh you know uh her i don't know if we're allowed to say her uh because we don't know if the uh doctors will permit us to to introduce that you're not a biology biology yeah i'm not a i'm not a biologist so i can't say her right so this is the problem right we keep going back to this every midterm election every four-year cycle you know it's the same constant thing and you know what what they don't want you to to do you know for instance if you're in the military or or you're working for agencies within the government you know, you're not allowed to show that there is a fissure, you know, in the military-industrial complex. So anything you do has to be conforming to what their idea. Again, we we we're getting into this idea of uh, of reality, right? So if it if it's outside of what the military-industrial complex wants, you know, in order to push their agenda forward, then you have to be canceled. And uh, this is this is uh this is where we are.
1: Hmm. Um. I I think what we're witnessing. Brother Martin is political theater. I think what they're setting up, as you alluded to earlier, is they're going to permit a red wave, so that the people who felt like Trump should have won, or that it, or, or that or that it was taken from, him or whatever, so that those people remain invested in the political process in these United States, so that they don't give up hope. All right, you take the election from them, but two years later, you give them some hope. You give them the House, maybe you give them the Senate. That way you can, you can shut down any more SCOTUS nonsense. You keep the SCOTUS status quo, right? You replace a liberal with a liberal, um, you know, and you just keep the game going.
7: This is the Hegelian theology of progressivism in the sense that, I mean, Hegel actually even founded his own church because he thought he was the culmination of history, history as a philosophy. Um, but thesis, antithesis, th- synthesis. Thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And so what you have is the Liberals, the, the the Democratic Party, holding down the thesis. And you have – the con- actually, it could be opposite, but be for this example, the, uh, the Democrats holding down the thesis, the conservatives supposedly holding down the antithesis so that you create the synthesis, something in the middle. So the Liberals are, are being as rattles as they can. The conservatives are holding back. But then you always see the conservatives, especially like we've seen with this uh, conservative commentator who's – Who's gay? Who hired a surrogate mother with him and his boyfriend, or whatever? And that now they have a they have a baby. They stole a baby. They bought a baby. Mm-hmm. In slavery. Um, it's always the conservatives that are giving inch by inch by inch by inch by inch to, to the to the to the liberals, the progressives. So ultimately, it, it is theatrics. It is a theater. Um, there's nobody's yeah. going to save us, no matter which way you vote in these midterm elections. You're going to vote for the he- Hegelian philosophy of of handing everything over eventually to the progressives. Um, so there needs to be a, a, a radical third option um everyone's afraid to do it because like oh there's there's no immediate consequences i mean we're all i mean let's face it it's lent we're almost at holy week let's all face it everybody wants immediate gratification that's why we're all sinners that's why we are all where we are immediate gratification we want in the next election for there to be a solution that ultimately wipes out all the bad parties the republicans the democrats and we're, we're not willing to to work to work, I think step by step by step by step by step and do things gradually. No, nobody's willing to do that. Nobody's willing. Yeah, um, and that, that's, that's why we are, where you, we
1: are. That kind of reminds me. Marshall did a podcast today, and one of the things he called for is for Catholics to get into the political arena, the local political arena. I think is what he said, and I think he's right about that. Ryan, uh, there's another uh, political stunt happening right now that's designed to keep you invested in the right versus left, red versus blue, Republican versus Democrat, dialectic in these United States. And it's fake Catholic Greg Abbott in Texas saying he's going to bust a bunch of illegals to D.C.
3: To help local officials whose communities are being overwhelmed by hordes of illegal immigrants who are being dropped off by the Biden administration. Texas is providing charter buses to send These illegal immigrants who have been dropped off by the Biden administration to Washington, D.C.
1: Wow. How cool is that? Don't you just want to be a Republican when you see something like that, Ryan?
6: Uh, No.
4: (laughs) The only reason I'm I'm registered as a Republican is to vote in the primaries to keep the liberals from running as conservatives. Uh, Otherwise, I would be an independent. I, I want no association with them if I can avoid it. But uh, yeah, you, you characterized it exactly right. It is a political stunt. Um, my political leanings would have me look at borders more as a line on a map. But the community has the right to protect itself and to police itself and determine, yeah, we don't want more people here. In Bi- you know, and the Biden administration has made that an absolute disaster. But there's ways to deal with that without these types of things. It's like, yeah, we want Biden to come in and fix all this. Wait, really? You want... Biden to militarize uh, 100 miles on on, you know, on the you know around the border and, and stop citizens there with uh, border patrol and uh, not need any you know to follow the normal things that cops have to follow. you really want that uh, just to deal with the problem? That, there's ways to deal with this problem that don't involve getting in more federal government uh, types of things, namely and the entitlements that draw them in. Um, in so many other things, but this kind of thing, because then, I mean, if I was Biden or an astute person over there, I'd, I'd just send them right back. You're not solving any problems. All right. You arrest these guys, just stick them in a bus. And then you throw them back o- over into DC. And what's going to happen. You know, well, And they might get deported. They might get sent right back or put in another state. Who knows? Uh, they could get the propaganda coup by saying, look at all these poor and hey, show a bunch of women or something like that. Uh, get the whamans out, that, that always gets the liberal tears going, but uh, whatever. Oh, we're we gonna find some compassionate states to take them in, right? And work that propaganda coup. So it's uh, I mean, illegal immigration, anyway, is, is a big problem, and the way our immigration laws work are, are complicated and, and a pain. There's ways to, but, but ultimately, the, the focus should be protecting communities. What's Greg Abbott doing to protect communities in Texas? from illegal immigrants, from the drug trade, from so many things that are going on there? What's he doing to protect them from those things? What's he doing to disincentivize people from coming in uh, if they know, well, hey, I can't get a job in Texas because um, I, I don't have the documents because I'm coming in illegally? It, it, I can't get benefits in Texas because of coming in illegally.
1: Maybe oh, yeah, that might yeah. do something. Why isn't he on the border? Why doesn't he activate the Texas guard? Shut the border. Exactly yeah. right, Ryan. A hundred percent right. Well, if he really wanted to solve the problem, he could. Instead, he wants to put a band-aid on it so he can do this stunt. And that's what this comes down to. And then they want to keep us invested in this in this uh, in this charade. Meanwhile, the corruption at the national level continues, Brother Martin. And the corruption is so obvious and blatant that you could just be a liar and get hired by NBC. On another
10: topic, was it common for President Biden to do favors for Hunter Biden's international business partners like writing college recommendations for their kids?
5: I have I've seen the report. I have no confirmation or comments on a report about whether or not the president when he was a private citizen wrote a college recommendation letter for an individual.
10: A college recommendation letter, though, from, uh, at the time, a former vice president would be a big deal. So, do we know what the president might have gotten in return for doing a favor like
5: that? Again, I have no uh, confirmation of any recommendation letter the president wrote. When he was a private citizen, by the way, not uh, serving in public office, that's even the report.
10: But he's the president now, and you're his spokesperson.
5: Correct. And he was not the president at the time of this report. Uh, so
10: there's evidence that the president at one point was office mates with Hunter and his brother Jim here in D.C.
5: It's not accurate.
10: That is not accurate. So when Hunter Biden is emailing a landlord, uh, please have keys made available for new office mates, Joe Biden, Jill Biden, Jim Biden. That you're disputing. They were not
5: office mates, no.
10: They were not office mates. Okay.
5: Great.
1: They were not office mates. Um, so they even- at MSNBC. She will. She will. Uh, I, I. I don't know if she's MSNBC or NBC News or NBC. The uh, whatever. It's all, it's all her, the same letters. Same crap, different files. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. the same letters. That's right. But you can literally just lie, and this goes back to the communist thing. The the the, the, the you know doubting of your senses, the disbelief of what your eyes and ears are telling. You. Who are you going to believe, me or what your eyes are telling you? No, he wasn't office mates, even though this email says they were office mates. No, of course they weren't office mates because you have to believe me and what I am saying. Um, meanwhile, the country is rotting. The country is rotting from the outside in. I say the outside, and I'm referring to the left coast. Here's Portland. First the family you take a break.
4: your
5: next Just so you know, this video goes on
1: for several minutes. I won't subject you to it.
5: Change the way you eat
2: stuff. Visit the area's only five-star for Thank you
1: we're talking about miles and miles and miles of human beings living on the side of the road in Portland. Meanwhile, in San Francisco, crime is just happening in the open and people are, I guess, okay with it. come on.
3: Let's celebrate. celebrate good times. come on. Let's celebrate. A celebration to laugh throughout the years. So bring your good times and your laughter too. We gonna celebrate your party with you. Come on now. Celebration. Let's all celebrate and have
1: a good time. Who's the guy filming? Like, is this one of their cohorts who's filming them? Or is this just like a passerby who's like, wow. <clears throat> Meanwhile, in China, uh, yeah. if you if you are uh, on your balcony protesting the lockdown because you're singing a patriotic song on your balcony, you will be told to stop. Oh. Look at the, what the cops wear now. Wow. Wow. The biosecurity state, this is coming soon to a free nation near you, liberal democracy. (laughs) Buckle up, Ryan.
4: Judge Judge Dredd. (laughs) Lock and load. That's
1: it. That's it. This is my response to that. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be ever-recurring. (laughs) <laughs> all right, normally, normally we do the unpopular opinions and then the grifting, but because I want you to hang around and suffer through the grifting in <laughs> order to get to the carrot at the end of the rainbow, which is the unpopular opinions, also because I know that all three of you need time to think about your unpopular opinions. Uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to grift first. Um, and I, I want to I start it off here by sharing my screen. The first thing I want to grift to you is I wrote an article. It's been a while. I haven't written in a while, and uh, it's in LifeSite. I want to show it to you. I ask you to consider the possibility that there is a similarity between debanking people that we don't like on the right versus debanking people that we don't like on the left. People were celebrating when we debanked the Russian citizens and forced them into using physical currencies on their daily commutes, but people were all upset when the... uh, freedom hunkers up in Canada were debanked my question is what's the difference between those two things so you can check it out on LifeSite. site and since it's my first article for life site i'd really be touched if a lot of you would click it and share it so that they can see that when they publish something that it uh, for me that it actually gets some traction. It's called cashless societies will almost certainly encourage government abuses of power. That's not, by the way, the title that I gave to it, the title I gave to it was something about, you know, the mark of the beast and they toned it down as they probably should have. Um, the other thing I want to grift <laughs> while we're grifting is uh, this book. It's called restoring the family. Somebody in the chat mentioned TIA and the great Marian Horvat, PhD she uh, she's not the kind of PhD who will force you to disbelieve what your senses are saying. No, in fact, she's one who's very much focused on what your senses tell you. She's also the author of books on civility. Uh, and uh, there's one called Catholic civility. There's one called civility calls again, I think, where she co co wrote with Judy Mead in Dallas, Texas. But uh, Dr. Horvath is an incredible woman. I've met her. I've had the privilege of dining with her and uh, i'm a huge fan of tradition in action tia she's also a big proponent of our lady of good success uh which some people call by different names and i understand why she calls it good success and for shorthand i call it our lady of good success too but you could call it our lady of good of the good event uh if you wanted to be more accurate to the spanish language but um check out this book restoring the family if you ever wanted to know about primogeniture, the privilege of the firstborn son, the family book, how things ought to uh, happen in the household, and what St. Augustine attributes to his uh, salvation, uh, the goodness of his mother. That's all included in this book, Restoring the Family. Uh, So check it out. Ryan Grant is up to grift next.
4: There, got to unmute. Okay, so... I don't have uh, anything to of my own to grift this week, other than obviously go to mediatrixpress.com. Uh, but I do have, I also wrote something, um, not an article, but it was the first time I wrote something that was my own writing in, in, in a while, actually. Um, are you able to see this? Is this showing up? Yes. Good. So, and Hill Press is run by my friend, uh, Philip Campbell who is an historian. Uh, I like the guy. I just did a show with him. If you want to check it out, it's on census finalium on Thomas Beckett. <clears throat> and I wrote this uh, a forward to this particular book, uh, which is a reprint, but it has uh, new material. So there's my forward in it, um, which I actually think was very good. I usually don't look at my writing and say that was good, but this actually was. This is a good book to check out. So it's, uh, it's excellently written about the, the murder of Thomas Beckett, it even includes things like what happened, to the four men that killed Beckett. It has some new translations in it. Uh, they were provided by my friend, Jonathan Arrington. of some medieval texts and about the miracles that took place at Canterbury. Really good book. So, uh, you know, I do encourage everyone to buy it. So Kruaken Hill Press, uh, another Catholic apostolate by a you know, traditional Catholic trying to, uh, you know, add to things. He also does a lot of historical uh, work. He does educational work. Uh, Philip Campbell. So anyway, so I'm going to grift somebody else, uh, you know, this week. So, and then, and like I said, I wrote the forward to that. Uh, so you get, um, uh, it normally, I don't recommend my own writing, but in that case, um, it was, uh, it was the right moment and I had the right spark and it all came out just right. So do check that out. Um, and then otherwise, uh, got some videos dropping at the book club tomorrow and, uh, I meant to get them out earlier this week, but I had some things come up. So, doing farm work today so hopefully to, you know those will be out tomorrow so you can look for those
7: there you go i was waiting for it
5: <laughs> <laughs>
7: brother so i'll, I'll give two things today of course our website the Oblates of saint augustine founding a new monastery a traditional catholic monastery of the Augustinian charism um have very exciting things to share with you guys within the next month hopefully um, as progress keeps, uh, as progress keeps progressing. Um, uh, but right now, www.oblaysatstantagustin.com, um, you can see what we're about, what we're doing, um, the inspiration for our foundation and then slash giving. You can uh, help support that mission as well. Um, but I also want to, the one of friends, one friend of mine, um, who's been in the chat all night, uh, D.E. Meekle. He was one of the clergy members of the the old Roman Catholics down in Florida who uh, graciously gave the uh, old St. Augustine a place to stay and, and, and a room a roof over our head um, to create this foundation so that we can get a, a lift off so to speak uh, when our when our own church had thrown us out on the streets. Uh, so give a shout out to him. he's on Twitter as well De e. Um uh, there you go.
1: Yeah, there he is. And um, I hope in the future that we can have his excellency on so we can talk about not only how, what his efforts to preserve tradition within the church, uh, his extreme act of kindness and charity towards you, brother Martin and uh, some other Augustinians who uh, were otherwise homeless uh, as well as his thoughts about the future and the consecration, whether or not he participated in it as, uh, as a member of the Episc- Episcopacy. So uh, hopefully his excellency will uh, We'll make an appearance on the rundown in the future. James, it's time hey, for money, I... money, money, <laughs> money, money, money,
6: buddy. Um, as of yet, I have nothing to grift this uh, week. I was thinking of something um, along the way. I'm still reading the book, which I uh, presented last week as a drift for the publisher. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, of your choosing, it's uh, St. Alfonso de uh, uh book, um, and I don't have the title here with me because it's in the other room where I'm not. Um, but basically, uh, these are anecdotes, uh, sermons, anecdotes about uh, spirit—sorry, about sp- spirituality and living um, in uh, you know whatever time of the year you're in. And uh, oh, man, I wish I had the title of that book. Um, but unfortunately, I don't have it to grift this week, so that's my non-grift grift. Anything by San de Deliguerre for the last leg of Lent uh, would be very helpful to mm-hmm. your spirituality. So there you have
1: All right, it's time for the thing you've all been waiting for. If you're not on Twitter, you're much more likely, more probable that you will enter the Beatific Vision than if you are on Twitter. But if you are on Twitter, you can vote. In the unpopular opinion poll. Uh here Ryan's gonna show the unpops from last week. The winner overwhelmingly uh, looks like was 60%. Wow, he had a he had a clear majority in a four-way race. Bug Hall said that retirement plans are un-catholic. <laughs> you know, he had a pretty good unpopular opinion on Twitter <laughs> a couple days ago as well. I think it was yesterday. He said, I'm not getting health insurance if I die. I die. Uh, I thought I, that was pretty good. I thought, I, I thought about stealing that for just to win this week. Cause I haven't, I haven't cast an unpopular opinion in a while. Cause we keep having guests and I usually abstain, but Ryan, you're first.
4: I'm first. And so my unpopular opinion, um, I saw, uh, a post or my wife shared with me a post that was in a Catholic trad moms group, which, uh, of course I am not in because, um, you've got to be either really drunk or really uh, messed up to be a man and want to be in such a group. But um, a- anyway, and so one, and I, I alluded to it earlier up in, uh, in this show, and she was complaining that about, you know, a friend of hers that got married, and her, and her parents has no knowledge about the marital act to her. Zero. Zip, zilch. And likewise, uh, nothing was passed on to her husband who was a virgin until they were married and he was otherwise decently Catholic and also clueless on the marital act. And as a result, and she was left feeling very um, unhappy is the wrong word, um, you know, concerned, scared, dissatisfied, not, not even dissatisfied is the wrong word, just kind of Unnerved. It wasn't anything like she imagined, and she was given no knowledge, no preparatory information on anything. She really didn't know what to expect. And and there's and this person went to relate, and there's a, a number of other people, and it created, and it's created a lot of suffering for all these people in their early days of marriage, and and so on and so forth. So I was going to add uh, that my unpopular opinion is that there is a balance between ignorance and uh, giving too much knowledge, that there is a golden mean that where you still preserve innocence and you give just the amount of information that needs to be known. And I, my personal opinion, my unpopular opinion is parents who don't give the, that knowledge at the right time, the appropriate knowledge in the appropriate way, commit a mortal sin. And they're setting their children up for failure and confusion and even further problems down the road because uh, God made that act and he made it to be pleasurable for those who are married. And there, there is a process uh, there, to it that's listed that people need to know about. And, and when they're growing up, you can't leave your kids, uh, you know, thinking that the stork is coming and that's how babies are made. And at the same time, you don't take a six-year-old and it's lay down every single thing that uh, it goes on either. It's just, you know, when they hit puberty, you get more knowledge. As they get a little bit older, you get more knowledge, etc. et cetera. Uh, We have this this kind of uh, puritanical Baptist, uh, you know, you're afraid of the birds and bees talk. And we've made this new thing and satirized the movies. You're scared to come talk to your kids about it. It's a solemn and sacred duty for parents. And when you look in medieval literature, you look in how cultures in the past dealt with this. They handed that knowledge down, father to son, mother to daughter. And they knew what this uh, act involved. And what it, it you know took place, and in good men you know learned how to treat their wives well and, and carefully with that, and good women knew how to you know give generously in that because they were that was explained to them and they understood what it was for, and there would be a lot less problems with uh, you know Catholic men dipping into the devil's church that is pornography, and there would be a lot fewer problems with women feeling dissatisfied and looking you know elsewhere, wanting to get out of the marriage, if you know, it's just somewhere like a more chaste version of Christopher West is kind of what I'm talking about. Um, that's tradition. That is how traditional families worked and, and before we adopted this puritanical attitude. So, yes, Gabby, there's no stork. <laughs> anyway, that's what I got. So it is a mortal sin for parents not to properly prepare their children for the marital act.
1: I With was eight years out. old when I found out there was no stork. Uh, J- James the Lesser... You are up for the unpopular opinion for this week.
6: All right. So I, I wouldn't have thought this would make its way into being unpopular, but my opinion uh, that I'm going to share with you very shortly, uh, basically uh, stems from recent times having this even being mentioned in public sort of causes people to raise their eyes in suspicion and to think what kind of animal you are. Uh, But I think, uh, well, my opinion this week is that uh, spanking your children is indeed a good thing. Um, And I am getting, not not today or last week, but uh, months before, maybe even a year past, even bringing this up in public uh, has been met with a lot of... uh, you know, uh, suspicious, uh, looks and, uh, responses. And I don't know why or how perhaps it's uh, the media or popular opinion outside of the Catholic church that has been perpetuating this, or maybe, I don't know. It could be something that's pre- prevalent in, uh, Nova Soda circles. I have no idea. Uh, it's creeping its way into traditional circles too. People are finding alternative ways to deal with certain things, uh, which of course it's always fine to deal with, um, you know your child the way you see fit, but the idea that a parent says they're they're going to discipline their child in one way which involves uh, spanking is just absolutely shunned shun from being an act that is representative of what a parent should be doing uh, to a child to help that child. Now, I can only offer two scriptural quotes because I wasn't fully prepared to uh, to obviously I forgot this segment. I always forget about this segment, right? So this is kind of last minute. But um, he who spares the rod, of course, we know this passage. He who spares the rod spoils the child and does not love his son who who does not discipline him. This is from Proverbs. And folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Boom. mm -hmm. Proverbs 13,
5: 24.
6: Thank you, I thank
1: think... you, Ryan. <laughs> okay, so so Thanks, Ryan. Uh, when, when CPS comes to your house, because you're out on oh, YouTube advocating the old school I will say my name or... is
6: Musa Al- Al-Jameen. You <laughs> <cannot> <laughs> talk to me that way. You cannot. That's right. They'll turn away. <laughs> <laughs> you need to All check right. your privilege,
1: man. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. That's right. That'll work. They'll turn away. Uh, Brother Martin, unpopular opinion for this week. Today is the 7th of April, 2022.
7: All right. All right. Here we go. Here we go. My popular opinion this week is that traditionalists need to get down on their knees and kiss the feet of the Novus Ordo. Why do I say that? Because the Novus Ordo is producing the majority of the traditionalist priest vocations. More so than traditional families. What I say in this is that months, months, months ago, I had a conversation with even an SSPX seminarian. And he informed me that the majority of the SSPX seminarians uh, grew up in the Novus Ordo. I myself grew up in the Novus Ordo. And it seems that growing up in the Novus Ordo, losing the faith and having a reversion to the faith has been more effective in producing traditionalist vocations than traditionalist families. Families taking their kids to uh, to the uh, traditional Latin mass and growing up and, and having them go off to seminaries. And so the statistics are there. The numbers are there. Everyone keeps promoting the traditionalist communities. Oh, they're growing. They're growing. Look, traditionalism is growing, but it's because we're still depending on the Novus Ordo and people losing their faith for traditionalist priests. So if, if you, you think I'm wrong, maybe you should ask your priest at your, par- your traditional Latin mass parish and, and the, uh, uh, the vicar there. Um, the assistant priest there and see whether or not they grew up in the Nova Ordo or they grew up in the traditional Latin mass and see whether or not I'm, I'm wrong.
1: That's my popular opinion. Oh boy. Yeah. That's going to be a tough one. Uh, all right. I'm going to have to do my best. I, my unpopular opinion that I was planning to present today is also about trads. And I'm also going to beat on trads as well. My unpopular opinion this week, unfortunately is about how we treat each other if you are at all around the traditional community for any period of time you'll notice that people are deeply entrenched in their tribes but it's it's, it's not just intra-tribe warfare it really is intra-family warfare it's within the parish people are constantly measuring each other and how trad they are against other people people are quick to call other parishioners modernists we get called all kinds of names. The backbiting happens in the parish halls. I'm actually kind of happy that my parish doesn't have a parish hall. I'm opposed to parish halls in general, but that's not my unpopular opinion. The fact of the matter is, is that people are so uncomfortable being traditional that they turn it into a competition, and, uh, and, they, and they start comp- competing with each other to see who can be the most traditional. And they start holding it against each other if someone else falls short in some imagined metric which they have just invented in their minds. We see this all too too, too much, too often, and I, I travel around the country quite a bit. I float in between, I'm a pan-traditionalist, I float in between all of the community, the, the traditional tribes. Um, I'm, I'm one of the actual Unite the Clanners because I will happily attend any traditional mass. But the thing that I have noticed in, and and the root cause of it, I think is has something to do, and this is not totally well formulated, but I think it has something to do with team sports. I think it has something to do with the American conception of my child has to play sports and compete and be the best. And what I hope is that we play a team who is of a lesser caliber so that we can stomp them. Or my greatest hope is that we could play a team of a higher caliber, but they have an off day and we can exploit that. And um, I, that's what I think is happening when these families start to try to compete with each other to see who's the most trad. Well, I, you know, our family only serves saucers with our coffee because that's how it's done in France. And that's the only traditional way to serve coffee. And if you don't have a saucer with your mug, then you're simply not a traditionalist. Now, look. Do I think that it is dignified and and have decorum to have saucers with your mugs? Absolutely. Do I think the Europeans are onto something when they, when they you know they're the ones who invented how to how to have a dignified meal? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I buy into that. Am I going to indict my fellow Catholic, my fellow person who is striving for heaven, who is attending the Latin Mass, who is homeschooling their children, who's doing the best damn thing that they can do because they don't have saucers? In their mugs, am I going to say that they're modernists? Well, I mean, if I do that, then frankly, I'm a jerk. Or maybe worse. Maybe, I'm, maybe it's a word that I shouldn't say on YouTube. But the fact of the matter is, is that we see it all too often. Now, I'm all for decorum. I think you can tell that. You know that if you've ever watched Restoring the Faith Media, my main YouTube channel. But I'm also against competition in terms of who can be the most trad. It's not about being the most trad. It's about being the most holy. It's not about having the most tradish things and fads and all this thing. It's about having the most levels of grace. And it's certainly not about spending the most time doing the most traditional things. It's about spending the most time in prayer, silent mental prayer with our Lord. And so um, that is my unpopular opinion. We see it a lot in the traditional community. I've been at this for 10 years now plus. I've seen it since 2008, actually, since my first Latin mass in 2002, I have seen that families are competing against each other to be the most trad and we really need to knock it the heck off because as brother said, we're not producing. We are not producing vocations. And I think part of the reason why we're not producing vocations is because we're obsessed with what that other semi trad family isn't doing right. And therefore, what it is that we are doing right in feeding our pride. Um, All right, sorry, that was a long rant, but that is my unpopular opinion for the week. Final thoughts, ladies and gentlemen.
4: Well, we're probably not going to do a show next week because it's going to be Holy Week and uh, time would be better spent uh, in prayer because it is the holiest time of the year. Ostensibly, Christmas looks like the the greatest feast of the year because of all the the secular uh, joining in on it. But in reality, Easter is the greatest feast of the year. And to have the greatest feast of the year, you need the run-up to it. So, and now we're in the final stages. We're in Holy Week. So if you've slacked on your penances, if you meant, oh, I'm going to do so many things, and maybe you fell off in week two, or maybe you hit Gaudete Sunday, or Laetare Sunday, excuse me, and, and you said, wow, uh, I'm going to indulge a little bit here, and then you couldn't get off it, and, and, and you haven't quite gotten back on track where you're supposed to be, Now is a good time to say, well, pick it up. Let's do, let's go right back to what we're supposed to be doing, you know, because our Lord knows our frame. Let's, let's, let's try all the more to, to suffer, you know, with Christ this week. Uh, we have Palm Sunday on Sunday, this coming Sunday, and we have the the, the gospel reading. And to remember the people that were there chanting, chanting Hosanna were the same people chanting crucify him. And that is mm-hmm. us. I mean, morally speaking, tropologically speaking in terms of the scripture, that's us. And we have to remember that whenever we sin, that is us. We proclaimed him as our King and our Messiah. And then we turned around and sin as bad as Judas when you get down to it. But we just like Peter, but at the same time we can turn to our Lord for his mercy. We can turn to him to get back up. It's not a pissing contest to see who can do the most penances, the most things. And, Um, You know, get through the most arduous Lent possible. It's all about who is faithful to our Lord. Now is the time. If you said, "Yeah, I I meant to do extra prayers and I was going to do stations and I was going to," then I didn't really do it. Don't sweat it. Just start now and pick it up now and 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 go into that last week with our Lord at every step of the way. That's my thought. Um,
1: Yeah, I think that's. I think it's a great parting thought. Uh, James, brother, no obligation, but if you have a parting thought, our final exhortation to the, our wonderful and spectacular rundown audience who we won't see for two more weeks. We won't see until the other side of Easter. Parting thoughts for him. Just a couple of words.
6: It's, uh, it's Holy Week coming up, and I wish everyone a blessed Holy Week, and I echo everything Ryan has said. Uh, and uh, we should all be looking forward to Easter and the uh, subsequent subsequent weeks if we have a very good and final Lent. So wish everyone the best. Beautiful. Yeah,
7: Bye-bye. so the rundown will be on for two weeks, so there will be nothing good on YouTube anyway to watch. So turn off YouTube, pray <laughs> there you a go. little <laughs> bit more, uh, pray an extra rosary, do some more mental prayer. Of course, you should be doing your 30 minutes of mental prayer every Every day, as I've been saying, you're not allowed to watch the rundown until you've done your mental prayer every single day because it's it's essential uh, to, to to becoming a saint. So this week is obviously very important, Holy Week. Uh, so don't just just don't miss out. Be there for the party on, on Sunday.
1: So there you go, and be the tradiest trad there is, or else.